listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am glad to be here in this space, whatever you call it, this experience, this podcast with you. I'm glad, if, if nothing else, I'm glad because it is an escape from my real life, which right now is very chaotic. Probably the first and foremost thing that's going on, and, and it's funny because I, I wasn't sure if I should share this or not, and then I realized, wait a second, all of the people that know me through the podcast have probably heard me talk about my dad, have heard me talk with my dad on the podcast, have seen a John Wright's film, Leaving My Father's Faith, about, you know, with, which me, with me and my dad talking to each other. I mean, you know, in some sense, you're already part of the family. And uh, this, this past week on Father's Day, I got a call that my dad had had a stroke. And uh, he was in the hospital and my mom couldn't see him because of the COVID-19 stuff. And it's been, it's been quite a ride since then, um, trying to figure out how badly he got hurt by it um, and, and how my mom's supposed to cope with this person who she's been sheltering in place with for the last, what, like four months or three months. And, you know, he's 85. She's 82. And so they lived very independent lives as younger people, but as they've gotten older, man, they have gotten close and interconnected and they are really connected people. And so this is, you know, and, and, and during that quarantine, that was like, like, it was just the two of them. And I would call them every day and say, how are you doing? They're like, we're great. We love each other. We love being together. In some sense, I think as you get older, one of the frustrations is, is the world's going on without you. And he was like, I'm not even worried about that. The world's not going on without me. Everybody's stuck at home too. And uh, they were having such a good time. And uh, then, he, then he had the stroke. And now he's, he's struggling in this hospital room and my mom can't get to him. And the long and the short of it is now he's back at his retirement community. They have a healthcare facility there. And, and he's stabilized. And my, my mom is able to sit outside the room. She's not allowed in the room, but she can sit on, on, in, in the bushes outside the window and talk to him through the window. And uh, this last weekend, I drove out to Philadelphia and I spent a few days talking to him through the window and talk with my mom at a social distance. It's a tough time to have somebody sick in the hospital, man. It really is. And uh, the long and the short of it is my dad, it became very clear to me while I was there that his mind and his personality are intact, but they are buried in a body that is not working real well. And he, he kind of, he has this massively slurred speech and he sleeps most of the day, which it turns out is if you had a traumatic brain injury, that's actually a good thing. It's, it's, it's a, it helps you recover and the neuroplasticity and all that stuff. But at 85, I, you know, it's hard to know how, how much he's going to get back. And at this stage in the game, all, you know, the, the, the real concern is like, gosh, could he get back to the place where he could go back home with my mom? Um, even if she had to take care of him and just talk to him, talk to her. Like they just want to be together. They just want to talk. Um, they just want to watch movies and talk 
Um, and I think that's within the realm of possibility. And boy, he's working his tail off. I mean, you know, they've already got him started on some rehab stuff and I can just see him working, but it is, he is so tired. It is so tiring. And so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a hard thing. And, you know, people ask me like how I'm doing and we often talk about grieving and losing people. And, you know, most of the time we lose people a little bit at a time. Um, but in the end, the same principle holds true. And that is, it's a lot easier if you ha were on good terms, if, if you'd had the conversations, if, if, if everything that needed to be said was said. And my dad and I, man, we never leave a conversation. I never leave a conversation with him without thinking, this might be the last one I have. And that's kind of become a principle in our family. And so there's a lot of love. And I spend a lot of time with my dad. I don't, I, like, I don't, ha I don't have all this unfinished business. And I, I just want to encourage you. Um, there are probably some relationships in your life where you go like, if that person checked out now or if they got incapacitated now, they, they, we're not there. And I would say like, yeah, try to get there. Try to get there. And, and, and if there are people who you're on great terms with, like never leave them without treating it like it might be the last time, because it might be. And it, it sounds trite, but boy, it's feeling good now. You know, and when, I, and when I went to see him, the way he talked to me, he made a couple of jokes and all that stuff, but the way he talked with me, it was very clear, like he had no anxiety about like trying to get something across to me that I didn't know or trying to make something right with me. Like, he was like, of course, like you, we're fine. We're fine. And that, that's helping me to be fine, even though I'm, I'm worried about my folks. So yeah, that, you know, that's my, that, 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 that's my thing. The weird thing is I came back and I was so frustrated with the COVID and, you know, messing with my dad and stuff and, and, the, and the protections and everything. Then I come back and I started this internship at a local drug rehab as part of this academic program I'm in. And uh, I was going to, I was going to be sort of like going to help out with this residential treatment facility um, with group meetings. And I got in there and, oh my gosh, I love these people. There's, there's something about the honesty of, a, of an addict in rehab, about the authenticity and, and the rawness of it all that just makes you fall in love with people. I mean, even I was, I was with like these 12 or 15 guys uh, in a room and, and it was clear like they were like connected with each other, even though they'd only been there a few weeks because it's raw and it's real. Um, and so I'm, I love this place, the staff, lovely, wonderful people. And so I was like, I love the mission of this place. I love these people. I like the staff. Um, but when I got back there, when I got in there for the first time in the group sessions, I realized like, we're in a basement. There's no windows. Nobody's wearing a mask. I mean, supposedly the residents have gone through a quarantine process to get in, but the staff are coming and going in the real world. And they're wearing masks sometimes, maybe in their office in the hall, but they're not wearing them. They're not wearing them in the room. And so if they bring something in, all the residents get it and we're in this enclosed space. And I'm thinking, you know, I got my dad, I got to go see and my mom. And I, you know, I, I, I got a granddaughter and I, I'm just, by the end of that day, I was freaked out. And I know I'm not the only one. 
Like that's the world right now, right? Like there's this massive uptick in cases and it's primarily because people just are, they're done with being locked down. But the, the dynamics haven't changed that much. And, and you say, well, we can, we can really get a long way if everybody just wears a mask and protects each other by wearing a mask to keep your stuff in you. And, and I go out in the world and, you know, I mean, here I am in the Midwest, across the river from Kentucky and Ohio, and there's not a lot of mask wearing in the public places. And uh, that's the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the way you can get halfway there real easy. And, and, and so I worry. I, I don't think we as a country are, 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 are temperamentally suited for overcoming a pandemic. And I think that's becoming really evident that, that some of our personality traits as a country, some of the things that make us wonderful under certain circumstances make us a mess under these, um, starting with our leadership and the way we pick leadership and the, and, and, and the level of, the, le the, the degree to which competence and management skills enter into our decision-making about who our leaders will be. But I know that a lot of you are in weird spaces on this thing. And, and, and this is the weird thing is that it's hard even to talk to people that are thinking differently than you on this issue. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a religious thing. Like, oh, you're wearing a mask. Oh, I know what you're about. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. Oh, I've got you tagged. And I think to get where we need to be on this, on this thing, we're going to need, we're going to have to be able to talk in reasonable tones with people who are seeing it differently. And that is not a strength of our nation. He says, I mean, believe me, I'm learning that. I just, uh, I released the anti-natalism episode, which by the way, I, you know, should I have done more research? Yes. Should I maybe, if I'm going to talk about reproduction, have had a woman as my conversation partner? Absolutely. Like, do I have a lot to learn? I do. And I got it from people on all sides of that issue. I mean, the one thing that, I mean, the one thing that was clear was it was an interesting topic. And so I just, maybe just think of that as like Bart stepping into it and realizing he's got a lot to learn and I'm going to do some learning and I'm going to find some people and maybe we'll revisit that episode in a more deliberate way down the road. I mean, I think that's what, I, that's what I'm hoping to do. Cause I, I feel like it was something I hadn't even really thought about. And all of a sudden I realized like people feel very strongly about this issue for all sorts of reasons. But then, then I did the, then there was the next episode, which was about collective trauma with respect to the, the protests that are going on in this country. And once again, tons of feedback and, and once again, like that's what's going on in this country right now is that it's very, very difficult to have a speculative conversation these days in which you test out new ideas or you try on new perspectives or you listen to the other person and, and, and sort of give them room to, to convince you and are open to changing your mind. You know, working through conflicts by slowing things down is not what we do these days. We work through conflicts by speeding them up. And uh, one of the things I've loved about this show for the last five years is that, is that I feel like we do a pretty good job of talking with people and sort of tr 
and, and talking with people who think differently, but also of trying to teach ourselves how to have those conversations. I mean, especially for those of us that have left Christianity or that have lots of Christian loved ones, like we've got a head start on this, on this business of, you know, listening respectfully and changing our minds and, and, and trying to understand the other person, not necessarily to defeat them. Uh, and when I listen to the civil discourse in this country, I think, ooh, ooh, you know, I, I, maybe, we, maybe, we, maybe we need to, maybe our job, the Humanize Me crowd's job, is not so much to put our perspectives on every issue out there. Maybe what we think about the issues isn't as important as how we know how to talk about things and trying to, trying to maybe figure out what are some of the rules of engagement for those kind of conversations, because it feels like, you know, the only way you resolve conflicts on a national scale is, you know, you, you either have civil discourse or you have civil war. You either do it by force or you do it by conversation. And, and as I see our ability to have that conversation go down, it worries me. And, and I don't mean war like necessarily with guns and, and, and stuff, but I mean people forcing other people, you know, the, like the majority imposing its will on the minority, which is not what you do in a constitutional democracy. It's not what you do in a liberal democracy. And, and so I'm really interested in trying to figure out how we can raise the civil discourse. And that's, I think, a big part of our mission going forward from this moment. By the way, if you hear all that thunder, like I'm not trying to be ominous, like, oh, the, we're in trouble now. Like there's actually a thunderstorm going on outside my uh, window right now. So, yeah, so that's, that's, I think, what we're supposed to be doing. Marty and I were talking the other night about how early in our marriage we practiced this thing where when we were struggling, we would sit down together and, and, and she would say, okay, now you talk for 30 minutes without interruption. You can say whatever you want. And I would do that. I would talk. And you, know, you run out of things to talk about. So then you scramble and you circle back. But like, it was an amazing exercise to talk for 30 minutes to somebody who's just sitting and listening. And they really are listening because they know they're, they're not reloading because they're not allowed to say anything. And then after I was done, we would take a break and then she would talk for 30 minutes. But the rule was she wasn't allowed to respond to anything I had said. She just had to say her own stuff. So then we would have both talked for a half an hour. And then we would, the rule was, now you can't respond to the other person for 24 hours. So you got 24 hours to think about what they said. And then we would come back together. And it felt so good to be speaking and knowing the other person was actually listening. And then it felt so good to have the other person speaking and to be relieved of the pressure to respond and to have the time to really sit and think on it. And then we would come back together their responses were so much better. And I mean, those, those conversations over the years have been so great for our, our marriage. But we were talking about how in this conversation, can you imagine what it would be like if you said to somebody uh, on the other side of these issues, whether it's race or, or, or any of the other stuff, climate change, Trump, you name it. And you said, okay, you talk, you talk for 30 minutes and I'm not going to respond. And then I'm going to talk for 30 minutes and sit, lay out my stuff and you're not going to respond. And then tomorrow we're going to come back and we're going to respond. I want us to be talking about how we talk more than about what we think. So that's what I want to do more and more. 
And John and I are working on trying to get the right people in here to do that. But in the meantime, we can't do any of that stuff unless we have a podcast and we don't have a podcast unless we have supporters. And boy, do we have some supporters. In the last few weeks, we've added so many new people. I got to thank David Thompson and Paul Stover and Dale Penn and Aaron Burnett. And this is funny. Fat Tony and Johnny Tight Lips. Dave Anfrenson and Scott Reinert and Chris DeLuag. I think I pronounced that right. DeLuag. And I pronounced it with drama because it feels like a dramatic name. And Chris wrote and he said, listen, I'm just looking for the shout out. So Chris, I hope I, hope I didn't screw up the name. If not, you need to send me a pronunciation guide and I'll do it again. Anna DuBose, Leon Kratz, Jeff Emmerich, and Roy Wilman and Mary Waller, who I married them. That's how I got to know them. They, they, they reached out to me because I do that kind of humanist chaplain thing where I marry people and I do funerals and, uh, and they wanted me to marry them and I didn't know them and they came in to meet with me and we planned the wedding and by the time the wedding happened, I was more in love with them than they were with each other. And so it's, it's, we had like, I'm telling you, if you looked at the list of supporters of the show and you saw the emails and, and the personalities that come along with it, you would go like, you would want to support this show just so you could be in that crowd. My gosh, we have the nicest, most wonderful, most caring, most trying to make the world better for other people, group of people you could ever even imagine. So we got a show and we got some conversations and this week, I got a special person to share with you. Of, of all these wonderful people I'm telling you about, one of my favorite wonderful people that I met through this podcast is Leah Helbling. And Leah is, she lives here in Cincinnati. And on paper, you would say she's a mid-career cha- career change or a midlife career change nursing student at the University of Cincinnati and the mother of three and, you know, a former Christian who's, you know, who's who deconverted a few years ago in a very interesting way and all this stuff. But like if you were here, you would say, oh, Leah is like Bart's running buddy. Like Leah is the is the kind of one of the key people that worked together with Bart to start this Cincinnati caravan local community thing that that he's so excited about and that's such a wonderful thing. Um, Leah is one of the steadiest voices and the most shaping influences in my life these days. And even in this conversation I'm going to share with you, you're going to see um, some shaping going on and not me shaping her. This is a this is a person who has really embraced a new way of pursuing love and goodness. And again, sorry about the thunder. It's a real thing. Maybe this is making the show much more cozy for you. I hope so. Leah Hobling is a woman of substance. She has a, a podcast where she brings women on to talk about their lives. And, um, and they are not famous women. But Leah makes conversations happen with people that draw out deep meaningful stuff. And she sort of does that with me in this conversation. So that's basically the long and the short of it is, is that Leah Helbling is a shaping influence in my life. And I wanted to share this conversation with you because I wanted to share her with you 
So this is me and Leah Helblin cutting it up on Humanize Me. I'll see you on the other side. Caravan is this common ground that you and I have. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes when I put something on my podcast, you respond to it in a way that lets me know that like, you're not entirely in my space. Right. Or I'm not entirely in yours. Like there's, there's something going on in your development as a humanist and as a human being. Mm-hmm. It's different than mine. And I'm I'm sort of like, it's it's easy to explore differences with people that are, like if you get me on with, who's that guy, Ra, the, you know, the, the guy who walks around at atheist conventions in a long jacket with a crazy beard. Oh yeah, Aaron Ra. Aaron Ra. Yeah. Like you put him and me on a, <laughs> on, like it's easy to explore differences there, right? Yeah. Like that guy's whole approach is utterly different from yeah. yours and mine. Right. But like for you and me to have a difference, mm-hmm. is, it's kind of more interesting because it's almost like an inner and it and it all centers around what we do with our Christian friends, family, past, you know, how we relate to that thing that is right. American Christianity. Right. Yeah. Agree. And I don't even know if I have thought long and hard enough about what it is. I believe my approach to American Christianity is, um, but I do think it's curious. I know, and I, there's so many factors at play, right? I mean, the number of years that we've been out of faith, I think definitely plays a part. I mean, the denominations in which we found ourselves, you know, you were always more right, correct me if I'm wrong, more progressive in nature in your Christianity than I was. Um, Yeah, no, I was always with the nicest, coolest, most lovely Christians. Yeah, right. I mean, and I had nice, cool, lovely Christians that I surrounded myself with too, but but more of a maybe more- Mine were theologically nice and lovely too. Yes, true. You know, the kind of stuff they believed in was a lot easier to- Yeah, to swallow- yeah. And to or or and, and and or once you weren't in it to go like it's okay that they believe that. It's they're not hurting anybody. Right. And I feel like the kind of Christians that you grew up around and that you spent most of your time with, like once you step out of it, you go like, actually that stuff that stuff hurts people. Oh yeah. It really hurts people. Yeah, I so I think that's definitely a plays a big role. I mean, and I'm a woman, you're a man. I mean, I think as a woman in the church, you know, I was deeply traumatized by the theology of what it I was supposed to do and be as a Christian woman in the circles in which I ran, right? The having to relinquish my autonomy and my attempts to try to become that submissive Christian wife, you know, so I'm, I'm saying deeply traumatized still by that, but like it definitely has played a role in um, the way that I view the church, this side of faith. You know, there's a lot of harm done to women in the name of God, you know? Um, So I think that plays a part. 
I don't know. And I even like, um, I mean, stop there for a second. Yeah. Like that's not a bad jumping in point because I don't, your husband, Dave, right. He, he doesn't seem to me to be a person who embraced or was like, I want to be the dominant. I I want my wife to submit to me. And like in a weird way, Christianity was doing a number on both of you because it was telling you that you were supposed to submit. And it was telling him that he was supposed to lead and dominate. Right. And and, and neither one, that's not your natural personalities. No, not at all. And like he never, ever made me feel like I had to play that role. You know, he never encouraged me in those endeavors at all. It was always me and my attempts to be the best Christian and to be the most like Jesus that I could was to become that, that woman, right? I thought that's who I had to be and what I had to become in order to be most like Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So in your marriage and in your life, you were trying to almost engineer your own submission, like create a situation in which you could be the submitted wife. Yes. And it never worked well. I mean, like Dave and I had a number, number of knockdown, drag out arguments, right? Because he was not being the leader that I needed him to be so that I could in turn be that submissive wife that I thought I was supposed to be, you know? And so neither one of us were able to play those roles well because it went against our natural grain, you know, of who we, who we were and, um, yeah, so he he's been so patient with me over the years and my attempts to achieve perfectionism and uh, a Christ-like nature. Yeah, actually, actually, you you have achieved perfectionism. You haven't achieved perfection. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You've achieved yes, the you. slavish desire to become perfect. <laughs> yes, quite arrived. Quite arrived. I never could. So, do, I mean, did you get? Do you feel like you got screwed over as a woman before you got married too? Like, did, did Christianity impact the way you were as a young woman? Well, like I didn't buy into faith until I was in, like a freshman in college. And so like I grew up in a home where my parents were pretty secular. Um, but I had these paternal grandparents who were home church, Southern Baptists, and there was always this underlying tone of in the conversation about um, women being submissive and my role as a young woman outside of the church, right? And the dangerous roads I could um, walk down if I chose not to submit to Jesus. So there was always this shame in being a woman. Um, I felt probably from like, I don't know, 13 or 14 that came from my grandparents' home, right? My parents weren't teaching me any of that. They weren't buying into that. But my, my grandparents' home was like very, it was kind of a peace-filled home, surprisingly, compared to my own home. And so there was something that was appealing and kind of drew me into thinking and believing that they perhaps had something I didn't, that I was lacking. Yeah. You think like these guys are loving and kind and it smells good here. Um, They must know what they're talking about. Right. And then they go like, now the key to this, Leah, (laughs) is 
is this is this stuff and and part of that was they they were sort of i mean did you just get a sense that like women were problematic yes like because they, they were a temptation to men yeah sexual beings at my grandparents home like my grandmother wore a head covering she had to wear skirts my aunts had to wear culottes you know there was no showing of your fleshly womanly parts um so so yeah yeah and like i was a strong badass woman and then when i chose faith my freshman year of college those strong badass qualities had to go you know they didn't fit with what did that the look like like what would, what would be a badass thing that had to go um sexual freedom um voting for bill clinton voting for the democratic party um being pro-choice um so, so i mean you understood yourself as a pro-choice teenager and then you became a christian you were like oh now i have to be pro-life right yeah yeah i had to be you had to be there was no you really had to, yeah so you, like your feminine identity had to change Yes. Yeah. And then what does that do? Right. My feminine identity up to that age, the age of 18, right, was full of shame and um, not good, sinful. Right. So all of those years that I was building this foundation of who was Leah, who is Leah had to be, you know, kind of taken down and and built and put back together again and and reframed as as that was your lost self oh oh isn't isn't it ridiculous that i ever thought that way i'm yeah. so embarrassed that i ever felt those things mm -hmm. yeah and i think part of the continuous working toward perfectionism for me was part of that right was having to um i don't know fill up and make amends for all of the failures that I had made up to that point in my life. And, and literally for who you had been, who you were. Yeah. Who you were was a bad person. Right. Right. So, so, so was the, would, would you say that like you, the woman part of it was the center of it, of your sense of like the trauma that the church laid on you? Did it, did it mostly traumatize you as a woman or were there other traumas that were like, nah, this was just like this hmm. as a human being? I think primarily as a woman. Yeah. Um, and what my place in the world was supposed to be. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Well, because the reason I bring it up is because you know, when I, when I give a pass to Brian McLaren's Christianity mm -hmm. or my dad's, mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the things is, is that those were not Christianities that were inherently violent to women, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like in theologically violent to women. True. Yeah. And so it's, 
So in a sense, like that's maybe part of the place where you and I will get into a thing where I'm like, hey, we don't need to be, you know, trying to disabuse people of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Like even, even though we don't think it's true, like it's not like if it's working for them and you're like, yeah, I would have told you as a, as a, as a married woman that it was working for me. And looking back, it wasn't working for me at all. It was Mm -hmm. hurting me. For sure. And then, I mean, that even leads into parenting, right? Like I think the effects of my Christianity as a woman and as a Christian mom right? The way that we parented our kids, you know, there were um, aspects of that, that I deeply regret. And so again, I think the perfectionism piece plays into that too. You know, like if I'm doing all these things as a woman and as a Christian mom, the way that God intends for me to, then my children will then in turn be these amazingly wonderful, perfect children too. So that the perfectionism piece for me as both a human being and as a woman, um, I think really. Do you think that messed up your kids? Yeah. I mean, to some degree. Definitely. I mean, not that they're messed up, but like, oh, did, yeah. did, it, did it do damage to them? Yeah, definitely. I think if you come, I think anyone who comes into parenting and most of us do thinking there's this way my kid needs to be. Mm-hmm. Whether it's he needs to be really good academically or or she needs to be really athletic or, you know, whatever it is that we think that our kid needs to be in order to make it in the world. It's pretty terrifying to that kid when they realize I'm not who my mom or dad yeah. want me to be. Right. So, you know, you were saying one of, the, one of the differences between us is that you're a woman and I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And the and another difference that you pointed out was the kind of Christians we ran with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the other one was how long we've been out. And like, right. have I been out significantly longer than you? Uh, I mean, I would say I've been all out like five-ish years. Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're I'm, longer than that. You're probably what, yeah. double that. Maybe Coming up on 10 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think with time, right, comes... Um, I don't know, maybe more of an appreciation for where I walked, less hatred, less anger. Maybe. 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 No, no. Here's the thing. Like, first of all, you're way ahead of where I was five years out. Mm -hmm. Like in our caravan world, I feel like you and I are the older pastoral leaders of that community, mm-hmm. like looking out for everybody and just, you know, paying attention to where things are going relationally with people. Mm-hmm. And I never feel like, oh, I'm the mature one and Leah is my <laughs> protege. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 what's the word? I'm discipling her in yeah. humanism. I think of you <laughs> as, as where I am. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I, I don't know, like if I had been done over by Christianity the way that you were, hmm. I don't know that my anger would subside or like not my anger, like, but my, my sense that it is a dangerous force not to be, not to be yeah. um, accommodated. Mm-hmm. So that, like, I think I'm much more accommodating towards certain Christianities. Yeah. And I feel like you, you're not, you're not looking to accommodate them. No. As the way I am. No. And that could be just 
one of the reasons is that I don't know many Christians who fall on the progressive side that are good and kind. And, um, you know, like I, maybe if I had more experience and more relationships with people like that, I would feel the same way too. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then sometimes I come back around to the perfectionism thing Hmm. or the sense of there's this way you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. and you should feel really bad if you're not that way. And I'm like, well, you know, that's how I felt about having sexuality. Right. You know, being a 17 year old guy who was trying desperately not to masturbate, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or even think about women in any way other than in a sisterly way. Right. And I was like that, that you know, you're like, well, did that mess with you? And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that did mess with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think about some of the ways in which I treated gay people mm-hmm. and the, the gymnastical conversations I had trying to make sense of feeling like in some way I needed to affirm that there was this, that heterosexuality was normative Mm -hmm. and the only, was the gold standard. And like we could accommodate gay people as long as we accepted that their unions were sort of a faint reflection Mm -hmm. of the ideal union that we were biologically Mm -hmm. designed for. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It's true. I mean, I have an aunt who's um, a lesbian. And when Josh was going through all that about 13, um, uh, marriage, gay marriage had just been legalized in California. And so my aunt and her girlfriend were going to be married. And this summer that they were going to be married, my mom was taking Josh and my nephews on a trip out to visit she and her wife or wife to be. And I was not comfortable with her taking Josh to a same-sex marriage and asked her to not go to her own sister's wedding with my son, right? And so she chose to honor me and respect me as her Christian, fearful, hate-filled daughter and not go to her own sister's wedding, you know? And so those sorts of things and what my brand of Christianity, what I felt it was teaching me, right? Who to be and how to live life caused innumerable, innumerable pain for those I love deeply, you know? Well, and you, and you, you know, yeah. And you know me well mm-hmm. enough to know that in a personal conversation, if I think somebody's doing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. I'm capable of laying a pretty heavy judgment mm-hmm. on that behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the warmest, sweetest way, but like I can make somebody feel really bad about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Even now, as a, you know, you know, like it, that, that's not, that, that's my personality. Right. Like, you know, the, the, the one my children call Judgey McJudge. Um, <laughs> and, and so can you imagine, like, can you imagine that like in the service of, you know, can yeah. you imagine what I did to people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had people say like, I heard you preach 
and I, you know, I went home and broke up with my girlfriend and did this mm-hmm. and did that, like changed my whole life around because you made me feel like there was only one way to be. Yeah, that's tough to get past and move past and forgive yourself and forgive, you know, the dogmatic teachings that you interpreted. Um, yeah, and what's fun, and that's the funny thing is like what I find myself doing, maybe this is a difference between you and me, is I blame myself completely. But I don't end up, I don't go like, hey, but dude, you were set up. Right. Like you, were, you were told that that was the right thing to do was to manipulate people into making those kinds of decisions. You know, I, I, it's weird how I don't hold the faith responsible for my own misdeeds. I, 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 like even just talking to you, I'm going like, yeah, maybe, maybe I am too easy on Christianity because, because I, I don't hold it responsible for the hurts that I for, for much of the harm that I did. I mean, I know I've, I know I've done a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So instead you, you blame yourself for, for like I do. falling into those beliefs or for misinterpreting the scripture or how, like, like uh, for what all do you blame for all of it? Okay. For all of it. But, but, but most of all I go, now, let's say Marty and I were sharing the same faith, right? Mm-hmm. And there was somebody sitting across the table from us who, theologically speaking, we thought should not be spending so much money on their fancy house. They should be serving the poor. Mm-hmm. Marty might have the same thought in her mind, but she wasn't going to say anything. Right. Because that's not her personality. Right. But my personality is such that I was like, have you ever considered what the Bible says about this? <laughs> you know, or, you know, more subtly approaching that person and shaming them. Mm-hmm. So like Marty had the same theology, but she didn't hurt people with it. But I did. Yeah. I was that public guy. I was, I was swinging a big ax. Yeah. And like you felt like you had, it was your responsibility to swing that axe? Sure. Just like I feel like it's my responsibility now. Like we yeah. run caravan, right? If I right. see somebody in caravan that's, you know, doing something that's going to really harm their marriage, do I take them out for coffee? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you go like, nobody's laying that responsibility. Like that's my personality. Right. For better, you know, and worse. Right. But like I employed that in the service of Christianity, mm-hmm. I don't know who to blame. I mean, because I am who I am. And I, right. I, I sort of can go like, well, maybe you should just keep your mouth shut, Bart, and you know, <laughs> stop being such a busybody and injecting yourself into other people's lives. And you're like, mm. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> the guy's a drug addict, and I think I might be able to pull him out. Yeah. Yeah. But the I, problem is, is that I looked at, at the other stuff just like drug addiction. That brings up another piece that I think we may differ on as well is right. Like, like I don't, especially this side of faith, I'm not as secure in, in the offering up of my advice to other people. So I'm more likely to, to not maybe redirect them. Um, not that I'm going to let them, you know, shoot up with heroin or right or, or ruin their marriage, but kind of like that worldview humility piece 
right? Like, I don't necessarily know what's best for you. You know, this is what's worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you too, but I'm not as confident and secure maybe yet, or maybe I will never be in the sharing (laughs) of my opinions, um, right, in our community or in anybody else's life. As a Christian, you were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I had had all the answers all spelled out for me. Or so I thought. See, that's the thing is that, is that like, you were not, you're not a naturally judgmental person. No. No. In the same way that I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like Christianity, it took you somewhere Mm -hmm. where you wouldn't normally have gone. Yeah. And for me, Christianity was simply a vehicle for my, for my nature. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, and, and, and that's the evidence of it is that, you know, if you talk to my dad or anybody else in my life and they go like, you're exactly the same as you ever were. They're like, you know, like, like the, 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 my, for my dad, this is a big problem. He's like, I thought you were powered by the Holy Spirit. I thought you were directed by God. And he's like, you're the same exact person. And it's like, so it's hard to believe that Christianity was crucial to your ministry when yeah. you haven't changed a damn bit. Um, hmm. And, and, but the, I think that's why I'm not so mad at Christianity because mm-hmm. like if there's, if there's anything wrong with the way I treat people and I'm sure there is a lot, mm-hmm. it's just me. Yeah. Interesting. Whereas you got, you got led into a path that you wouldn't have been walking on. Yeah. Gosh. And you just wonder, right? What, what would life have looked like otherwise? I mean, life's been good. Life's been good to me, but you know, those are like, oh my gosh, if I hadn't chosen faith. I know, but you know, you can like, it's funny. I was just with a a young couple the other day and they were talking about some decisions that they had made and they were like, what if we hadn't? Mm -hmm. I was like, man, you can, you can go, there's no life down that road. No, there's not. Nope. You know, it's, it's that whole thing like what, you know, that, that saying that I like, I, I heard at caravan that one day where the one woman said, Mary said, uh, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the second best time right now? Yeah. And, you know, sort of like, yeah, you can, you can go crazy. Oh yeah. With the what ifs. But I guess like when I, when I come into the what now, like when you and I became friends and then, and then we started talking about what we missed about Christianity, it wasn't any of the stuff we've been talking about, but there was this sense of being connected to a larger family mm-hmm. and and feeling like you were part of a movement that was doing some good in the world mm-hmm. that was important to us. And like, that's where the whole conversation of, hey, should we, maybe we should do a potluck dinner, you know, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that, you know, and like that, that sort of slowly morphed into us realizing that we wanted to create, what do you even call it? What do you call it when you, when people say, what is caravan? What do you tell them that it is? Oh, a community of humanists, community of beautiful people in Cincinnati, hanging out and trying to make the world a better place for one another. 
when you think of being involved, like starting Caravan and creating that thing, like how does that meddler versus mm. non-meddler, like, like how do you feel about being part of a congregation that has kind of a, a little bit of a transformative mm-hmm. edge to it? Yeah. Well, I like to be a healthy listener. Right. So versus the meddling, I am like just the listening to other people's stories, I think is helpful in allowing people some space to kind of process. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm not a meddler. I mean, I, I think of some relationships that I have where I probably could be a little bit more meddling, you know, like and but I I. I second guess myself. I'm not secure in what I think might be in somebody else's best interest, you know, with the exception of my husband and my kids, you know? Um, yeah, it can be tricky. Gosh, that's the place where I'm least secure. I, I like huh. <laughs> some guy across the street. I know what's best for him. My kids, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I've screwed them up so much. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I don't feel like we're, meddling in in people's lives necessarily. I think we're providing them an opportunity to learn how to become better lovers of people. And I guess I don't see that as meddling when you're setting an example of how to love well. Um, you hope that people then in turn follow you, right? I'm not forcing anyone to follow me or to choose our brand of loving, but, um, yeah. So I, I don't, do you, do you think what we're doing is meddling? N- not officially. Yeah. Like when we get together every, you know, second and fourth Sunday of the month and there's this carefully curated hour that's, you know, aimed at helping people connect with, understand play around with a particular way of life. Mm-hmm. We're sort of like, this is a way of treating people and a way of listening to people and a way of thinking about the relationship between our own imminent deaths mm-hmm. and the way we, and, and, and the way we spend today. Right. That's really working for us. Right. You know, that's, that's really been helpful to us, especially in the aftermath of, of our, of our, Mm-hmm. of our church lives. Right. And we're just going like, this is, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's so funny to me because the first three values of caravan, we were able to like spit out in, you know, 15 minutes. Right. Right. You know, like, yeah, you know, we're, like I remember Beth sort of saying like, if it's not going to be about love, <laughs> I'm not interested. Yeah. You know, cause like, I'm not interested in being part of an atheist club. That's about truth. Right. Like, like my ultimate value, my, you know, like I'll sacrifice truth for love. You, know, you don't often have to, but like if it comes down to it. Um, so, I mean, I think like the idea of loving relationships and the idea of making things better for other people, mm-hmm. that grew out of both our study, but also just our life experience. Right. And, yeah. and the gratitude um, and wonder part of it. I feel like that was pretty natural too mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that was sort of a direct like, remember all that majesty stuff in church and all that transcendence and like, like 
we got to have a category that's sort of our secular version of worship. Yeah, right. Yeah, I love so, that. Yeah. Got to have it. Got to have it. And and I feel like those three things came trippingly off of our tongues. Yes. And then and then about it, you know, like it's about 6 or 8 months into it that that we come across that f- fourth one. Yeah. Where we keep running up against people talking about how you going to re- you know how are we going to relate to Christians or how are we going to relate to other people who think differently than we do mm-hmm. and that 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 weird concept of worldview humility mm-hmm. so with, good which i think is the thing that character like if if you yes. said to me like what is th- what is the thing that you go like sets it apart i go like, oh it's the fourth one right everybody wants to love somebody right you know it's not we're not we're not unique in that sense but i go like and, 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 you know, I'm not even always sure how to articulate when somebody says to me what worldview humility is, but it, it does seem to boil down to what you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is this idea of, I'm just going to tell you, like, this is a thing that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you that you have to accept it. Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. This side of faith. Like when I was inside of faith, I felt like I had to have all the answers and I tried hard to figure out what the answers were. And so now on this side of faith, there's just this beauty and this freedom that exists without having to have the answers. And so, so that when I think of worldview humility, that basically I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I'm open to learning from anyone out there. And also, I think about our conversation we had the other night at Caravan, our leadership meeting with Adam. Oh, I think this was after you left, Bart. But Adam was talking about a conversation he had with the recovering from religion people about his stance on abortion, right? Pro-life, pro-choice. And they were just kind of trying to figure out where he stood in, in that and how would he handle someone who came in who had a different opinion, And, you know, Adam was just sharing that that's a complex and convoluted subject and that there's not always one and only one answer. It's not a binary choice. I'm pro-life or pro-choice, right? There's all this gray area. And to be able to sit in the gray is like such a new thing for me. It's this amazing, I don't know, like nuance and a freedom to not have to have all the answers. That's crazy because like, again, like you're talking to Judgey McJudge. (laughs) And and so for me, what worldview humility means is, is it's, it's, it's complimentary, but it's different. Hmm. And what that means is I know what I think Mm -hmm. and why I think it. But worldview humility for me means saying, Let's not kid ourselves. I think the way I think for a whole bunch of reasons, completely outside of my reason or control. Hmm. If I'd been raised somewhere else by mm-hmm. someone else, mm-hmm. if I had a different set of experiences, if my body were shaped differently, like I don't have free will over my brain. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or, or over the natural processes that left me, that, that, that created this way of thinking. So I have to be humble when I encounter somebody who thinks really differently 
to sort of go like, oh, if I had your brain and your experiences, I'd think exactly like you do. Yeah, right. I think in practice in our group, what it really comes down to is this willingness to say, we're, we're not going to in any way short sell the brand of love, loving, loving kindness as a way of life that we are promoting. We're going to be like, this is how we're doing it. You know, but what we're not going to do is we're not going to underline that with because it is incontrovertibly the best way for everybody. But you see, that's where that whole phrase and brings me back to the beginning is when I say, if your way is working for you, okay. And then I come back to like, yeah, but what do we say to Leah at 30 in her new marriage trying to be perfect? You know, he's like, do we really go like, hey, if your way is working for you, we're going to leave you alone? Right. I mean, it's funny. I'm Mr. Judgmental, but you're the one that wants to go and drag people out of ridiculous ways of thinking. Yeah. Well, I don't want to drag them out of, I don't want to burn down the churches. I don't want to stand outside their doors, right? With signs saying God is dead or non-existent. But I do think we have a, we play a role in, in educating which is funny because listen, it's like so contrary to what I've been saying, right? I know. And yet the 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 trauma, the the fallout from religion is so great. I mean, for women, for minorities, for LGBTQ, um, at the voting level. So I'm not sure. So I don't. I mean, give me a scenario, Bart. Like when, like where someone might come to you right? With X, Y, and Z questions or, or situation. And you in turn encourage them to stay in or to like you did with your interview or your talk about Craig's question last podcast. Yeah. Right. And, and like you encouraged him to find a different set of Christians to surround himself with. Right. Right. What do you do with that? Like, when would you find yourself sending someone back to the church to meet their needs or, you know, and, and again, like this is where that meddling, yeah. I think I, I think I know better for everybody what they should do than they do. Right. Like I go like, you know, with, with a guy like that, like I make a judgment. Right. I go like, yeah, I don't think he's going to make it out there in the world all by himself. And he's not like you and me who's going to create their own, ball game you know he's a you know know, like i make a judgment and i go like yeah you know what i think that the other thing is like he seems like the kind of guy who's going to be haunted by the fear of going to hell Hmm. like that seems to be a real fear in his life Mm -hmm. which the kind of progressive christian i was like (laughs) i wasn't worried about going to hell i wasn't i wasn't I, i gave up hell a long time before i gave up god and then later on i gave up heaven you know and thought god was just a this world kind of force which, you know, puts me in line with half the psychedelic users I know who don't yeah. believe in eternity, but they believe in a consciousness or, you know. Right. So, but for that guy, I go like, yeah, I don't think he's going to be okay. Like, I think he's going to be haunted by God. So, like, since God's going to be a voice in his head, maybe we could just get that to be a better voice. Hmm. Hmm. And you're like, wow, that is so paternalistic and Yeah. And like condescending and, God, and, yes. and snobbish, right? 
Right. I hope Craig's not listening right now. He's going to be like, God, that guy, what an asshole. Um, yeah, but yeah. And yet there's a softness and a kindness also with that response. But and, it, and, it, and an openness. Like I would say that to Craig. I was like, like, Craig, I don't actually think God exists, but I don't think you're going to be okay with like, I don't think you can stand in the place that I stand. Right. Yeah. And that's that's difficult, right? It is condescending. Like they're too stupid or not strong enough. But wait, or, but wait, but wait, wait. Yeah. Unless like the question is like, I can't stand in the place that a believer stands. Right. Can't do it. When I was a Christian, I sometimes came across atheists and I was like, you've got to find a way to be a good atheist because there's like, I, I would know for a fact, like this guy's not capable of buying into this crazy worldview. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So like, like, so there is a certain humility in it where, I, where I, when I say, I don't think I could stand where he, I don't think he can stand where I stand. Right. I don't think he can, st- I can stand where he stands either. Okay. Gotcha. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But, but it still is condescending because like, I think where he stands is ridiculous. And I think where I stand makes sense. Right. And, and he knows that, but yeah, it, it is gentle because I'm sort of like, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about how this guy, like how this guy can make it as a secular person, but I think we're wasting our time. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess that brings with it, right. That meddling, that judgment piece. And I'm like, how do we know? Right. And like, like right. what another person's capable of. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, and I think a big concern for you and for me too, is like what sort of community are they going to have to fall into if they leave the community that they have? Right. And I think that's definitely a big plays a role Yeah. in how we encourage people to live out their lives. But on the other hand, like here I am right this weekend with this group of online community folks that help me to like work through and get through my deepest, darkest days And like, I feel like today, like there are communities out there for people, you know, at their fingertips, whether it's recovering from religion or humanized me podcast group. Leah, you're like a smart, attractive woman with a nice family who has enough money. Like, like you, the online community could give you a whole set. And you had all these other needs were still, were being met by real people in real life. You were getting True. hugs and kisses and, and you were going yes. to movies and, and stuff like that. Right. You know, for some people, if they step out of the church, they lose that whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. Oh, come on. Like, I, I don't want to name names, but we know yeah. some people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And how much of that is, right, there are some people for whom you're, it'll never go well. Not that it's necessarily even going well in the church. I don't know. I feel it, it's, e- I, I guess a better way to say it is it's easier today, more now than ever for people who leave a community to be able to find a different community. But, it, it, but online, I mean. I'll say Billy and you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually talking about Billy, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting talking with Billy the other day. And he's sort of going like, I think I need to go back to church. Mm. And I'm like, cause you believe? He's like, no, no, I don't believe any of it. He said, but like being with you guys 
is like trying to speak Spanish. And I've grown up speaking English my whole life. And he said, I understand it, but it doesn't, mm -hmm. it's exhausting to me. It's it, like, like the, the wonder you take in life and, and the, the way that a science book can turn you on or a nature walk. He's like, I need the liturgy. I need, I need the singing of those. I need those. I need God almighty words. And he's like, I, I just want to try to figure out, like, I need that in order to sort of order my, mm -hmm. order my mind and calm my heart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like it's not, sometimes it's not just the fellowship that people miss. It's like, there's a, a way of thinking. Yes. Yeah. And that a they're practice. accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people get yeah. to a certain age or they get, they get set in their ways and you sort of go like, I just, you know, it's, it's sort of like taking somebody and saying like, Hey, we're going to move you to Hawaii and you're going to live on an Island. And you're like, well, that would be great for any, anybody. And it's like, no, there are some people that like they've lived in Pittsburgh their whole life <laughs> and they wouldn't do well in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are those people that can sit in the pews, right. And not believe any of it to be true. Absolutely. And be okay, right? And be able to somehow square that cognitive dissonance, right? I, I couldn't do that. I would be unable to sit there and- And, and that's make, why horrible as it sounds, Leah, like that's where you have to exercise judgment. Mm -hmm. You have to look at another person and go like, what do I think that person's capable of? And you go like, well, who the hell are you to, to, to make that judgment? And I go like, somebody's got to. Mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. to decide whether I'm going to invite that person to caravan or whether I'm going to tell them about my friend Owen, the spiritual director who can help them get their Christianity back on track. Mm. Ouch. Got to make a judgment. Yeah. And you're like, or I could sit back and not do anything. And I, you know, that's where I'm pathologically incapable of doing that. Right. And, and, and honestly, I don't want to be like, like so many of the people whose lives I've intervened on have said like, you know, I, I needed somebody to intervene. Mm -hmm. I needed mm -hmm. somebody to get me out of that bad relationship or to get mm -hmm. me out of that job or to get me mm -hmm. out of that neighborhood. Right. Get me out of that addiction. Right. So I don't know if we, like, I don't feel like we've solved a damn thing. No, if it were that easy. This world would be a different place. So I'm going to let you go because you got to go back and have fun with the people that you're with. I got to go. Yeah, I think we're going swimming this afternoon. Oh, man. Is it warm? No, no. Uh, you, you, you get along with Ro <laughs> Roman is now, Roman's new practice, no lie, is he works out and then he takes freezing cold showers for like 10 seconds every morning. Dang. It sounds awful. And he's like, it's, it is so invigorating. And so like, yeah, he, he has this whole sort of, he, it's part of his sort of spiritual practice these days. It sounds <laughs> awful to me. Uh, but so does jumping in the Atlantic ocean right now. Yeah. The Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for you taking the time to talk with me. Yeah. Thank you. About this stuff. Thank you. All right. So that was it. That was me and Leah Helbling chopping it up. If you want to know more about Leah and her podcast, go to the show notes. I'm just glad you got to meet her. She's an important person in my life. 
I just wanted you to know her. Now you do. Um, I know some of you are thinking, hey, Bart usually ends the podcast with a quote from Robert G. Ingersoll, his humanist hero. And I'm going to do it. I got it. I, I got I got two. I don't know which one's better. So I'm going to give you both of them. They're sort of related. I don't know. We'll see. They both are very relevant to this moment. So here's the first one. Robert G. Ingersoll said, the greatest test of courage on earth is to bear defeat without losing heart. I'm not even going to comment on that. You sit with that. Like I'm sitting with that. And here's the second quote. In nature, there are neither rewards nor punishments. There are consequences. Ooh, that is a good thing to know sometimes. That what's happening in nature is not a punishment. It's a consequence. In nature, there are neither rewards nor punishments. There are consequences. All right, my friends. Two little quotes. And my sincerest thanks for for sticking with me this far. And my sincerest hope that I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424 424- 291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every Oh,